The Christmas Thieves Stave 1, Part 2 Marlowe's Ghost Camden Town! The nag piped up. That's pretty swanky for someone who makes next to no money. It wasn't in those days. Ian Cartwright lived in a rickety little place that smelled like the butcher's shop next door. We had followed him there the night before to observe his home life, but what it lacked in luxury was made up for in love. Freda, in fact, did not live far from there, and I considered switching the focus of my machinations and uniting these two poor little families in one joyous gathering. But Baltus was the one whom I knew could affect the most change in this city, short of the Archduke himself. And that would be such a complex and dangerous project that I would have to leave it until later. So we followed Baltus to a melancholy tavern where he took his melancholy dinner, and having read the newspapers, he went home to bed. He lived in chambers which had briefly belonged to his deceased superior officer. They were a gloomy suite of rooms, in a dreary pile of a building. The fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway of the house, that the only way Baltus was able to see was by igniting his hand and letting the flame push back the encroaching darkness as he neared his doorway. Now it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door, except that it was very large. It is also a fact that Baltus had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in the place. Also, that Baltus had as little of what is called fancy about him as any man in this city. So it was with great difficulty and subtlety that from a distance away I plucked a memory from the head of Ambrosius Baltus as he stood at the threshold of a dead Duarte's house. A little twisting of his mind, some little theatrics, some eerie green lighting that would only be apparent to Baltus, and he found himself staring directly into Marlowe's face. It looked at Baltus, as Marlowe used to look, its eyes wide open and perfectly motionless. The hair was curiously stirred, borne up and shifted about, as if the man's head were being viewed underwater. Baltus started and drew his hand back, launching a blazing bolt at the knocker, which became iron immediately as the wood was badly scorched. The captain spun about and observed the dark, frozen courtyard around him, thankfully not seeing our footsteps and hoof-prints in the snow as he looked straight through us. Unable to penetrate the emptiness, Baltus furiously entered his abode, slamming the scarred door behind him, the sound resounding through the house like thunder. I retrieved a bag of peppermint humbugs from a leather pouch at my belt and shared them with the worried horse, thus replenishing some of the energy drained from me by the magic surrounding the illusion I had just cast. That's another thing you might have bargained for, the nag whispered. Ebenezer Scrooge had absolutely no way to defend himself. He was just a frail old man and they really were ghosts. Or they were errant facets of his fractured psyche, confronting his conscious mind with his dreadful legacy. Either way, he couldn't harm them. This guy is an armored firestorm, liable to lash out and burn the whole place down. In which case, I'd better be very clever about how I handle him. 
Before Baltus retired to his chambers, he strode through all of the rooms, his hands aflame, searching each corner for intruders. The world was never to be trusted. It would never have its fill of him. Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room. All as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa. A small fire in the grate, spoon and basin ready, and the little saucepan of gruel, for you see Baltus had a cold in his head, upon the hob. Nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet, nobody in his dressing gown, which was hanging up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. Quite satisfied, he closed his door and locked himself in, shedding his armour and arranging it upon its stand grimly. Devoid of his body, it stood locked to the wall like an empty black shell, housing an invisible man. He fastened his dressing gown and pulled his nightcap down over his Mohican, scowling to himself, and not enjoying this nightly vulnerability one bit. Slipping on his slippers, he sat down before the fire to take his gruel. Humbug, said Baltus, slurping the disgusting concoction with his spoon. I froze in the hallway outside, the humbug just about gone from my mouth, and wondered if he might have smelled it. This was, as the nag had dryly intoned, a very dangerous affair. I laid upon myself the image of the former owner of this house, as he had looked in life all those years ago, clad in armour very similar to that of Baltus, adorned with a gilded cape, but all now affected by the spectral air I wove throughout his frame. I had dragged along what looked like iron chains all the way up the many stairs from his cellar, ensuring that they made the appropriate grinding noises as I did so. And last but not least, I pushed around me the invisible bubble of my shield to guard against his anticipated aggression. I took a deep, rattling breath to make absolutely clear that the dead was about to come bursting through his door and invade his living room. The door opened and Baltus stood there with fire in his eyes and indeed his hands. I roared at him, the first and second firebolts glancing off my shield as I pushed him bodily back into the room with what would feel to him like a cold, forceful wall of strength. He went end over end, his eyes wide and bewildered. What do you want of me? Oh, much, I moaned. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your captain, Jacobite Marlowe. What stuff and nonsense. I would ask you to sit down, but I warrant a figment would be incapable. You do not believe in me, I pressed. Your senses are keen. Why do you doubt them? For one, Jacobite Marlowe would never have commended my senses, keen though they may be. And secondly, those senses can be affected. A slight disorder of the stomach may delude. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you. He was overcompensating wildly. I could hear his heart beating hard in his chest, and so bellowed to get his attention. At this, his fists clenched, and he sat back further in his seat. Phantom! 
Apparition, whatever you are, why do you trouble me so? Man of worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do. I do. But why are you chained when you did nothing wrong in life? He said this after a long and labored period. I was not sure whether it was the truth or if his suspicious eye was attempting to see through my edifice. I decided to press the point. I wear the chains I forged in life. I cried, getting genuinely fired up as these concepts took hold of me. I made it link by link and yard by yard. These are the same chains I locked around those I was happy to imprison. Those guilty of the meekest of crimes. In doing so, Ambrosius, I condemned them to a life without hope. We incarcerated and we executed and sometimes we released these wretches to further poverty and despair. All of these lives were stolen from them. We were the greatest thieves the land would ever know. And all within the safety and assurance of our laws, which convinced us we were enacting moral rectitude. And though you cannot see it, you wear such chains yourself. I glared at his body, never fully focusing my eyes, so as to ensure Baltus was always uncertain as to which plane I was dwelling upon. The captain glanced about him. Am I to be like you then? A lonely soul wandering and burdened, trapped? There was a tiny hint of something besides incredulousness and anger in his voice. This was it. I finally caught his eye. Ask yourself, Captain Baltus of the Watch. Are you not trapped in such invisible shackles already? Are you enjoying to its fullest your life in freedom? Or are you as much a prisoner as those residing even now within your tower? Captive bound and double ironed not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one's life. Opportunity misused. Then what must I do? Hear me. My time is nearly gone. How is it that I appear before you in a shape you can see? I may not tell. I have sat invisible beside you many and many a day. This, I hoped, would thoroughly unsettle him. The flicker of his eye hinted at impact. He wiped perspiration from his brow. That is no light part of my penance. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. You always looked after me. Thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned? It is. I'd rather not, if it's all the same. It is not all the same. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first at one bell. If you must do this, could they all not visit me together and get it over with? Expect the second at two bells and the third at three. You are not taking this seriously, Ambrosius. How must I? 
It is my first haunting, and I am doing poorly at it. Just as ever you did in your youth. I scowled. This hit home hard as I walked backwards from the room. He met my gaze, and I saw belief in his eyes at last. Jacobite. He murmured as I maneuvered the door closed with a little tactile shielding. Expect the first ghost when the bell tolls one. I hissed out in the corridor and then went to hide with the nag in the scullery. Baltus spent a while longer in his living room and then around ten bells he retreated across the landing to his bedroom. We had a long night ahead of us. The black beast I sat with whispered quietly and grumpily, as I had forbidden him from raiding the larder, and we must instead sit and eat our packed supper, so that I might replenish enough energy for the next round. I have an idea of how you're going to Christmas past this pillock. Uh, do you remember them? As if it were yesterday. So you'll be employing her form, then? I think so, yes. And if he smells a rat and attacks you? We may have to make a body disappear. You take me to the nicest places. That was Stave 1, Part 2 of The Christmas Thieves. The cast for this episode, Ambrosius Baltus and the Nag, performed by Spencer Lieb. Merlane and the Ghost of Jacobite Marlowe, performed by Alexander Shaw. Music by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Overture, specially composed for The Christmas Thieves by Gilhaim Steinberg. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Many thanks to our top-tier Patreon sponsors for the month of this re-release. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skeels Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. <laughs> <laughs>